Before we get to the show, we have a request. The media, as you knew it, is dead. Fox is dead. So don't turn it on and listen to it in the afternoon and during the evening hours till you go to bed, as most people used to do in the living room. Support free media. There's not many channels out there. There's the Epic Times, Gateway Pundit, a few others. But there's CDM. We are a growing global media conglomerate. We have websites and reporters all over the world, 12 at last count. The Colorado Free Press is coming on next week, and we're opening another paper in Montana after that. So the cavalry is coming, but we need your support. We have a no-ad subscription. It's 10 bucks a month. You don't see any ads. We know people don't like ads on their phones. They don't like pop-ups. Well, you can do something about it. So when you're sitting around the fire when you're older and your grandchild asks you, what did you do during the Great People's War, Papa? You can tell them, I helped CD Media and I helped Free Media save the Republic. So go to our channels, go to cdm.press, go to the Georgia Record, go to wherever you can find CD Media. We have a lot of websites and simply sign up for our no ad subscription. It's 10 bucks a month. It's not a lot. There's a discount for an annual subscription. So help us out, support free media, and do something. You know, there was 3% that did something during the American Revolution. Be the 3%. Help CD Media get our no-ad subscriptions. Thank you. Hi, everybody. I'm Christine Dolan. I'm the anchor of American Conversations, and I'm here today standing in for Todd Woods for American uh, Forces Press show. And with us today, we have Lieutenant Mark Basher. Th thank you, Mark, for joining the show. Thanks, Christine, for having me. I really appreciate it. So you have a very public uh, conviction you, uh, with the U.S. military, and it's related to the COVID vaccination. Before we get into this, okay, because it's a sad story, it's a sad state of affairs that the U.S. government is going after you um, for standing up for your medical autonomy. Give us your background, and because you were both in the Air Force as well as in the Army. Give us your background so the audience knows your, your, about your 17 years in the U.S. forces. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So I've been in 17 years active duty. Uh, the first uh, 14 years, I served enlisted in the Air Force, uh, primarily in civil engineering, in, um, in different career fields, capacities within, but primarily it was uh, entomology and pest management and environmental systems. And then in September 2019, I, after earning my education after hours uh, during duty, I earned my education all the way up to a master's degree in, in medical entomology. I commissioned directly in September 2019 into the Medical Services Corps. And so in September 2019, I went through some initial training, and then I was stationed at Army Public Health Center in January 2020. And then what happened? 2020 changed everybody's life. Yeah, it sure did. So uh, January 2020, I showed up. I worked uh, medical entomology where we uh, study and communicate risks to the force about uh, disease vectors from insects and other non-battle related injuries. And then in May, I was selected to be the company commander. And so I was the company commander from May 2020 to June, July 2021. And then after that, I went back into preventive medicine, medical entomology, where I was again uh, performing risk communication strategies for vector-borne disease uh, and things of that nature to protect our service members from. And so it, it, 
it started in 2020, around July 2020, when I started noticing a trend in the public health apparatus, specifically where I was at, that the only solution to this, uh, what we were seeing with this disease or whatever anybody wants to call it, was a vaccine. So that seemed like the, the narrative from early on, like everybody will be safe once we have a vaccine. And I was curious about that because being a medical entomology background, uh, vector-borne disease, oftentimes when we deploy to different places overseas, we take prophylaxis for disease. And, and one of those primary ones early on was hydroxychloroquine uh, and some of these prophylaxis. So I was curious. And so I started asking the question of public health leadership if the Department of Defense was looking into prophylaxis for military service members uh, to, to help protect them against what we were seeing this uh, largely at the time. And that what we know now is, is a fear, a pandemic of fear and not necessarily a pandemic. But I was curious, why, why weren't we entertaining those conversations? Why weren't we entertaining those thoughts for prophylaxis? Uh, and when I raised the question, it just got shut down immediately. Like, nope, not effective. Uh, we're waiting for a vaccine. When we get the vaccine, that's going to be the end all be all cure. And so that's kind of that's kind of my initial story. Well, you have a sympathetic uh, anchor here today because in early 2020, I saw too many contradictions. I was interviewing the hunter coronavirus hunter guys as early as February 2020, who were the co-authors of the Lancet report, who had concluded that, you know, no way this came from a lab, even though there was not investigation at that point in time it seemed too soon and then we'd later find out that that was all a hoax in terms of how that that was designed by peter daschuk to be written to stop any questions whether or not it was a lab leak and i agree with you by june my, my lights went on around I, I mean every month there was something different whether it was remdesivir announced by fauci in april which i know i know somebody who actually died from remdesivir within days and then all of a sudden, Vax was the only answer, which is like telling me that, you know, as a war correspondent, war is the only answer. No, diplomacy needs to be at the table. And it seemed pretty odd at the time that Vax was the only answer. And there were people who had applied to BARDA trying to get money to actually uh, reduce the viral load, that where the, which they had done earlier as medical uh, scientists for pancreatic cancer and they couldn't get any money for that in early 2020. So I agree with you. Vax became the only answer. Your curiosity went up. You spoke up. You were shut down. How high up the ladder, Mark, did it go for you in terms of speaking out at that point in time in, in 2020? So it went to the director of the Army Public Health Center uh, and the deputy director of the Army Public Health Center, who at the time were my uh, my rating officials, because I was the commander. And so primarily I was looking at it from an aspect of protecting my soldiers as a commander, but also as a, as a medical officer too, just an initial inquiry, a curiosity inquiry. Uh, and then later on, I went to try to go, go to bat for my service members with some of these illogical masking policies in these federal buildings, specifically the gyms. And um, so, so initially it went to the Army Public Health Center director and deputy director. And did they t basically tell you, you know, be quiet, don't put they, us in danger by raising it with us? Not necessarily. They passed it off to another doctor within the center 
And that doctor was the one who actually, I believe he cited the, the New England Journal of Medicine at the time that was kind of contradictory to the, the efficacy of hydroxychloroquine and the others. So we kind of already saw the, um, the weaponized narrative towards those other alternatives to bring in, because, because per the statute, the federal statute, you can't have an effective alternative to be able to bring on an emergency use authorized injection, these experimental injections. So it seemed to me like that's, that's what was happening, that those articles were being stuffed in people's faces who were bringing up these concerns. And that's what the doctors were kind of referencing. One of our guests on, on prior shows is a man named James Zitlow. Uh, he's a lieutenant, Air Force Academy grad. And back in 2007, he was actually commissioned by the U.S. government and DOD. He was specifically chosen as the number one person to put together the task force to develop um, pandemic preparedness plans globally. This, come ap this came after 9-11. It was all part of the 15-point plans that President Bush at that time had said he wanted to get um, orchestrated. And Jim actually put it together. And there were no mandated masks. There were no mandated vaccinations. Um, they talked about it. They didn't talk about lockdowns or anything like that. They talked about containing people who had been, um, you know, exposed did, were there any conversations like that, Mark, when, when you were discussing this with your colleagues in 2020? Uh, not, no, not necessarily. No, it was, it was really a knee-jerk knee -jerk reaction from everybody involved, uh, leadership down. And so the, a lot of times they would, we would get new, new students or, or new soldiers in from, from uh, their initial training and they were coming from a different place and they would they would try to force lock them down in, in their hotel rooms, which I was opposed to. And I brought this issue up. I said, listen, this is this is considered false imprisonment. Like there is no basis for locking somebody in their rooms and isolating them if there's no symptomology involved. There's no there's no evidence to that. So that was kind of what I was seeing. But it was largely a knee jerk reaction from leadership down on on what to do. Did you have anybody who was, any of your colleagues who agreed with you even silently at the time? So at the time in 2020, there was probably, yeah, there were some colleagues that agreed and, and thought it was, um, something wasn't right. And, and it was a bit, a bit crazy and maniacal of what was going on, but it was, it was definitely silent. It was, you know, in, in these very informal conversations and um, to this day, I mean, that population's growing more and more every time. And I've been and they isolated me. So the, and we can get into that later. But I've been isolated from service members at Army Public Health Center since November 2021. And so they isolated me by by restricting my access to any uh, Army Public Health Center facilities. And so I, I wasn't able to communicate uh, and have those conversations after that point in time, but, but before that point in time, certainly, and sporadically afterwards, if I, if I had to go to a non-Army Public Health Center facility for, uh, for a military function of sorts, I would see some of these individuals and they would silently uh, agree that the, at the very least, what they were seeing was, 
was crazy. Like it didn't make sense to them at the very least. Well, first of all, thank you for your service. And I'm sorry that our country is doing to this, doing this to you uh, and your family. Tell us what happened as this proceeded uh, and you raised your voice in 2020. Tell us chronologically what happened after that. Yeah, so 2020, uh, July 2021 is when I changed command and I went back to, to risk communication strategy and building, um, building communication for the force to protect them from various non-battle related injuries. And so I was tracking the the Department of Defense initiated the rollout of these emergency use authorized vaccines at the very beginning and at the tail end, the very end of 2020 and the very beginning of 2021. And so I was monitoring the VAERS, the, the CDC vaccine adverse event reporting system, and just watching the numbers climb. And so I, I you know, I became concerned. And so 2020 came around, uh, September 2021 came around where they mandated the this injection on all service members. And so at that point in time, along with my religious convictions that I already had, I started communicating the VAERS data to my chain of command. And what's interesting about the VAERS data, the vaccine adverse event reporting system from the CDC is in fact the Department of Defense official database to report injuries. And I got that confirmation from Colonel Tanya Rands at Defense Health Agency when I put an inquiry in and I said, hey, what is the official database the Department of Defense uses to track adverse events from, from vaccines? And uh, they confirmed that it was theirs. And so at that point in time, I said, hey, look, we have a serious problem here. We have 12,000 people that have died from these injections and close to 800,000 that have been injured. That's a huge signal. And I pushed it to my chain of command. And I also pushed it to the COVID-19 task force at Army Public Health Center saying, hey, I've seen your risk communication strategy. I've seen how it says, you know, inform the service member of the known risks of not getting vaccinated. But what I didn't see was inform the service member of the risks of getting vaccinated. And that was absent. And so that that question and that relief to my inquiry went unanswered. The risk communication strategy, as we know today, was simply just safe and effective. And, um, and that's what they pushed out. And then in November 2021, that's when the weaponization of the other products against the unvaccinated started to happen. And what I mean by that is in November 2021, the Department of Defense mandated that all service members who weren't vaccinated or take this emergency use experimental injection because there was no FDA approved one had to participate with a two times a week uh, rapid antigen. So not even the PCR test, but the rapid antigen test kits before they could enter their place of duty. And so again, I started communicating to my leadership. Uh, at first, it was through verbal. I said, hey, this is an unlawful order. We have federal statutes that specifically say a service member has the right to accept or refuse these products. And there is no FDA approved and licensed mask, test, 
or even at the time injection. And still to this day, there aren't any FDA approved uh, injections. And I also started bringing up the, the safety concerns, like I mentioned. So according to regulation, that is protected communication. Anytime a service member brings up violations of regulation, federal law, violations of the constitution, or specific and substantial dangers to public health and safety, that is protected communication. And what happened to me after that, I, you know, I ended up getting court-martialed for not participating in the, these products. Now, you mentioned, you mentioned religious exemption. Did you apply for a religious exemption? And what was the process? What was the reaction when you did that? Yeah, so I applied religious exemption for, for all injections, for all vaccines um, due to my faith in Jesus Christ. And I submitted the religious exemption. It, it, it was a, an initial counseling process. And then I wrote, uh, I wrote that through the chain of command. And by, this was September, I think I submitted in September. And by March 2022 is when I found out the Surgeon General of the Army denied my religious accommodation. And how many other people did you run into, Mark, in your situation that, that you met along the way in, inside the um, military? I, I would say thousands. I mean, there there is at least 100,000 service members who have been through this process of speaking up, of trying to, to carry out their faith, trying to exercise their faith, their religious beliefs, their convictions, whatever that may be but also uh, submitting protected communications to their chain of command as well. And I've worked with thousands of them behind the scenes and communicating with them, sharing information. And so it is uh, quite a bit of service members. How many of them have ended up that you know of that have ended up in your situation of being court-martialed? Uh, I believe I'm the only one who's been court-martialed to date. There's been a lot of them that have been uh, persecuted in board of inquiries, uh, but I believe I'm the only court-martial to date uh, that actually went through a court-martial, been convicted and sentenced. All right, so let's start with the process. At what point in time did they bring bring the, the charges against you? Uh, so, I, like I said, I submitted the protected communications in... Uh, in late November 2021, and they uh, they submitted charges against me. Uh, Colonel Vinman, uh, the SJA, the Staff Judge Advocate for the Commanding General, signed off charges against me on on January 18, 2022. Let's share with the public what happened after that. So, um, they recommended bring me to court martial we submitted motion to dismiss based on the federal statutes that say you can't force a service member to participate with emergency use authorized products. And the fact that there was no FDA approved products, uh, the judge, uh, the judge dis, uh, and this is a military court, a military court. That's correct. So the, the judge denied our motion to dismiss and, we went to court martial in April 28th, 2021, or 22, I'm sorry, 2022. I'm not asking you to violate any of your attorney-client privileges, but did was was there a sense of hope for you with you and your legal team that these guys would, would get it right? 
There was, there was a sense of hope with all of us. We, we thought it would never come to a court martial because we thought, and I still believe to this day, the, the letter of the law is black and white. It's, there is no question. However, it got brought to court martial. We were all kind of, you know, kind of flabbergasted by that. And then we were hopeful that the judge would rule it an unlawful order based upon the federal statutes that are very clear. But he uh, deemed it a lawful order. Uh, and then we went on with the rest of the court martial. So for those who have never been in a military court of law, explain how that works as compared to a, you know, in, in the civilian world of, of a courtroom. Yeah. So this special court martial consists of one judge. Uh, he is uh, the determining factor with, uh, with the court martial and there is no jury of peers. And so I basically had to give my testimony on the stand, I had to get cross-examined, and I, I, I said exactly what I was trying to do, and that's communicate risk, uh, com communicate dangers to public health and safety, communicate violations of federal law and the Constitution, and um, you know I said it all there on the stand in my testimony, and they wanted to paint me as the prosecution team painted me as some sort of criminal. What was there evidence uh, to counter your arguments about efficacy, safety, uh, VAERS data? Any, it, it, did they offer up any evidence to counter what you had, were saying on the stand? They wouldn't, they wouldn't touch it. And furthermore, the judge denied expert witnesses at my court-martial. And they wouldn't allow on me... Both, on both sides? On, on, on both sides. They denied expert witnesses. And so they, they wouldn't even let me classify myself as, a, as an expert, given the fact that I'm a public health officer at the Army Public Health Center. So they would, they would constantly try to object every time I, you know, at certain points when I would bring certain things up, they would object to it and say, he's not an expert. And it's like, well, yeah, but uh, okay, but you denied our expert witnesses, you know, so... But it that was, was your that was your job as a public health official in it, in the army. I'd argue it's it's any it's I would argue as an officer, it's anybody's job to bring up known violations of law and risk to our soldiers and service members. I'd argue it's anybody's job. But yes, yeah, specifically as a medical officer, certainly. Right. So, so you, you had two bullets there. One where you were an expert in the field of health, the other one it was your duty as an officer. Uh, in the military to bring forth any violations. That's correct. And so their focus was simply the lawfulness of an order. You received a lawful order, you violated the lawful order. And, um, and that was their argument. And I wasn't hiding the fact that I violated the order. I was arguing the fact that it is an unlawful order based upon federal statute that are black and white. And as a service member, as an officer, I have a duty to disobey unlawful orders. And I have a duty to properly communicate professionally up to the chain of command to perform some sort of redress uh, for what I was seeing at my level, and which I did. So 
At what point, what shots were being given to people that you knew around you at the time? Was it Pfizer, Moderna, J&J? Um, I believe it was a mixed match, usually Pfizer, Moderna. All um, right. And, and at that point in time, for those that, that uh, received the shots and were injured and did report to VAERS, since that was DOD's uh, adverse effect, database did you see any patterns of people that you were talking to who were injured at the time whether it was uh myocarditis or, or whether you know it was it was tremors or anything like that did you did you see any patterns that were out there that would have been known to dod at that time specifically where i was at no because it, like i said they isolated me from from service members so in november 2021 when I when I showed up to work unmasked and untested, they banned me from all facilities. So I was wasn't able to communicate or uh, discuss with any of these service members that were uh, potentially receiving these experimental injections to get a feel for, you know, how how they were feeling or what the reaction was. Uh, but another thing I do want to bring up because it's 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 really important is is the signals we were also seeing later on and. Uh, in January, I became aware of the Defense Medical Epidemiological Database, which is called DMED, and the signals we were seeing in there that were coinciding with the signals in, in VAERS as well. And so I was communicating with uh, Dr. Teresa Long, Dr. Pete Chambers, Dr. Major Sigaloff, and, uh, you know, communicating this information to Senator Ron Johnson's office. Uh, to highlight that information as well. Now, uh, Lieutenant Teresa Long ha has been on our shows and she's participated in our American Conversations Town Hall. Um, and she's very impressive. Uh, she's very impressive in terms of coming forward. She received whistleblower status. Did you ever apply for whistleblower status at all? In so, so, yeah, August, 20, uh, August 2022, we highlighted uh, Lieutenant Chad Coppin from the U.S. Coast Guard and myself highlighted the fact that there was never any FDA-approved injections in the force. And so uh, we highlighted that with Senator Ron Johnson's office. And at that point in time, I, quote unquote, had whistleblower protection status. But again, that's, that's just a paper tiger when the Department of Defense refused to answer Senator Ron Johnson's inquiries that he submitted and so now i'm facing general discharge uh, with a characterization of unacceptable conduct at present time in the next 12 days after 17 years i'll be i'll be discharged well it's not over till it's over so so uh you applied for the whistleblower senator john you're saying senator johnson then 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 wrote to whoever he wrote to in the army, in the, in the army, I guess to get a response. But because he didn't get a response, you were, you, you, you were not given whistleblower protection on, on the Hill. So technically I should have whistleblower protection. I've talked with Senator Johnson's office. They've inquired with the army, reminded the army that, Hey, he's a, he's a protective whistleblower. And I, apparently they've been ignored and that's where we stand today. So because Johnson's office has been gaslit by the U.S. military, 
you may not have the full protection and you are at the risk of being discharged. That's correct. Okay. How many days before, before this becomes official? 12 days. So 26 June, 2023 will be my last day in service. Okay. Um, there's still time on this. Today is June 15th. Uh, at the same time, everybody can be overridden by the commander in chief. If Joe Biden had the class to do this. That's correct. Following the chain of command. Um, have you exhausted, have you and your lawyers exhausted all of the legal hurdles that you can at this point in time from the position you're in, not having the whistleblower official, not have, having the army gaslight? Yeah. So I rebutted the commanding general's uh, officer elimination. I rebutted that. I also submitted a article 69 petition to the judge advocate general, of the army requesting him to review and overturn the conviction in the court-martial. I also submitted a pro se Army Court of Criminal Appeals uh, request for them to review the court-martial, and they denied. I submitted another uh, reconsideration request based on Rule 31 of their rules, and they recently denied me three days after the, uh, after the Secretary of the Army authorized my elimination. And so at this present time, on I believe it was four June, uh, four June in this year, I submitted a letter directly to the Secretary of the Army. And normally you wouldn't see that. Normally a first lieutenant would never do that because there's a chain of command. But the fact is, I exhausted all administrative remedies uh, on the inside, and so I wrote her a letter directly to repeal the officer elimination in which. She had a brigadier general message me back. I then submitted her another letter uh, in response to that response. And so I'm waiting to hear back on that. I'm not at this point. Listen, at this point, I'm not expecting them. You know, I pray. I That's all I can do. I pray and I put my faith in my Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, at the end of the day, I just do what I can. And I pray that they see what what I'm doing is principled in nature. And it's not uh, out of emotion. It's not out of spite. It's not out of hate. It's out of love that our army, our military will look at this and they will apply logic reasoning to this and stop going down the path we're going down. And so that's kind of my perspective. Well, the larger picture here is that they never could admit it was the lab early on because then everybody in the world, if they had their heads screwed on at the time, would have demanded that all of the money that went to these Frankenstein Science Research Center and labs would have come to a screeching halt to get to the bottom of the origin of this because, in fact, everybody who was involved said, oh, this is going to happen again, from Fauci all the way down from Collins and everybody else. So they had to, they had to annihilate that as a possibility. They also had to say that everything was safe and effective because they didn't want to create any vax hesitancy. And the truth is we have repeatedly reported now, you know, for several years that in fact, the FDA, the CDC, the NIH, the NIAID, and the Biden White House have all been fully informed that there are vascular and neurological injuries and that, in fact, they have known, at least by our research, 
since January of 2021 during the early rollout of the, of the so-called vaccination shots. They're not really vaccinations, and I don't like to use that word, but <clears throat> these gene therapy shots. So everybody's in the know. But the, my take on why they haven't even acknowledged the vascular or neurological is because if they did acknowledge it and they were forced to acknowledge the cardio injuries in spring of 2021, um, but they've never had the others, and that's because they don't want to create a vax hesitancy. So it's going to be tough for you, except for you're coming forward and you're doing these interviews. And this is, this is questionable of... What is their intent? Because this is clearly, um, it's a muscle game. It's to censor you. It's to use you as an example. It's to shut down anybody else. You mentioned that there are, you know, a hundred, maybe a hundred thousand people that are out there that are in the same position. If you question it, questioning the policy and the truth of the matter is DOD knows by this point in time, not just Teresa Long or you as a source, but others who have come forward and basically said, this is a hell hole and you're using people for human experiments. That's correct. Yep. Yeah, so what, right. what, what's next for you, Mark? How can we, how can we help as journalists? Um, just, just spread the word about these service members who have been unlawfully discharged. So many of these service members have been generally discharged with a character statement, a uh, character statement of, uh, uh, committing a serious offense. So a lot of these younger service members are going out trying to get jobs. They're asked for their DD-214 and the employer is like, hey, what happened here? Uh, first, you got a general discharge and second, you have a you, you committed a serious offense. And so depending on the uh, depending on the employer and how they feel about the service member taking a stand on on their convictions, on their oaths of, of enlistment and oaths of office, it's a 50-50 shot whether or not they'll get hired. So a lot of these service members are having an incredibly hard time finding employment and getting that characterization turned over to an honorable and their record corrected because the process is such uh, riddled with red tape and bureaucracy that it takes forever to get the record even fixed. So that's kind of the excuse I got from a brigadier general like, hey, you know, after you leave service, you can go to the board of corrections. It's like, yeah, but the, by that time it's too late. By that time it's too late. And the fact is that's not a quick process that takes, if we look at uh, Colonel Tom Redford's uh, situation and his anthrax fright. Who has know, also been a friend of this show and he's been on several times and he's been on our American conversations. Tom Redford is, is a patriot. Because he's a warrior. For, 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 for those in the audience who don't know, Colonel Tom Renfer fought to, to, to not have the anthrax shot. Well, going back in history, Gulf One, people who were in the theater in Gulf One were required to get the anthrax shot. In the 1990s, they wanted to expand that to everybody that was in the military. Colonel Renfer came forward. Dr. Merle Nass came forward. Uh, former Congressman Chris Shays from Connecticut uh, was ahead of the subcommittee. He held... Uh, hearings at the time because they were saying these were unsafe. They got to the point of thinking, even with Senator Tom Daschle uh, at the time, 
that, you know, we're not going to go forward. And then 9-11 happened and then the anthrax letters went out and then it took 10 years for the FBI to admit exactly where, who was the source of the anthrax, but it was somebody in the government that would have benefited if that anthrax went forward. The program did go forward because of 9-11 and then it was stopped, I think, circa 2003 or 2004 because people found that they were damaged. So, yes, Remfer, absolutely. Went, he fought it. He went, he went to the fire on this, and it took him a long time for his record to be straightened out as well. And mm -hmm. you're absolutely correct on that. But he, here's what people need to know on your end. The people that you know, they need to come forward and do interviews with us as well because people, people who are where you're applying for jobs and this is on your record, it is, an, it is time, and I'm not afraid to say this, okay? People need to be named and shamed when they do this to their fellow men. They need to be named and shamed as military guys who do it to the military forces. And I'm not afraid as a journalist of taking this on. This is outrageous what is happening to the military. It's outrageous what's happening to kids. We are too far down the line that we know, in fact, that these shots have caused enough harm that they should be taken off the market. Absolutely. That's one of the most disheartening things is, uh, the individuals that are coming after us. And, and I'm not, obviously I'm not the only one. There's thousands just like me in, in these precarious situations, but it's from our own fellow uh, brothers and sisters in uniform who swore the same oath to the constitution against enemies, foreign and domestic. And that's exactly who uh, has persecuted me at least for the past three years. When you said that they isolated you, Mark, when you say isolated, they told you not to come on the base, so they told you not to communicate. I mean, you obviously commu communicated with Teresa Long. How does that work for, for the audience who's not military? Yeah, so they took, so I had an access badge that allowed me access to all Army Public Health Center facilities uh, on no November 30th, 2021, when I got counseled for showing up to work un untested because of my uh, conviction uh, in, in my faith and against these experimental injections, they said, hey, turn in your badge and uh, we're going to look at restricting you from the entire installation. And so I turned in my badge and I wasn't able to go back until January. And this was November 30th, 2021. It wasn't until January 17th, 2023, to where they handed me my badge back unofficially, had an enlisted member hand me my badge back and say, uh, oh, here you go, you have your access back. And this was after uh, CPS and the Family Advocacy Program was weaponized against my family and my children. This was- Tell me about that, tell us about that. Yeah, so I, the um, November, 2022, there was, uh, I get an email from a family advocacy and that's CPS equivalent in the military saying, hey, um, we understand it was it was after I was trying to bring the concerns in a child care facility about the children being forced to wear masks. And so I brought this information to the child care facility. Um, I showed them the laws. I said, hey, you can't force these children to be masked. It's against the law. It's a violation. These are experimental products, X, Y and Z. My own child was going to child care there. Uh, a month goes by or two months go by. I forget how long it was where CPS calls me up and says, hey, there's a, a neglect uh, case against you for your child. And I said, what, what are you talking about? No evidence, no facts, no information on who submitted this complaint other than uh, it was for my youngest son and it was the only one going to the childcare. 
And so they came to my house. Obviously, they found nothing wrong. And then all of a sudden, they I get the closure letter from them. They said, hey, it's unsubstantiated. Nothing to be found. Obviously, no evidence. Uh, have a good day. Well, I get a call from my command. And they said, hey, we're opening up a neglect case against you and your family. And I said, what do you mean? The CPS closed it out. And it was another tactic. I believe it was another tactic uh, used against me and my family because I was speaking out. And so I refused. I refused to participate with their contracted services. Uh, the individual wanting to do the interviews was Defense Health Agency. I'm a Defense Health Agency whistleblower. There's a huge conflict of interest there. And so eventually they, they said, hey, a commander sent me a closure letter. You even signed it off. And this is the commander uh, that has his signature all across this retaliatory information. And he said, hey, I just want to let you know they closed it out. Um, unsubstantiated. And this was also after they escorted me to, to a behavioral health appointment to try to weaponize behavioral health against me. And that's something classically the military will do against service members that are speaking out. There's a, the, uh, one of a, a good example of this is Captain Seth Ritter down at Fort uh, Benning, Georgia, who was highlighting crimes against this chain of command. And they weaponized behavioral health they locked him up in behavioral health and they were going to they were going to force uh, uh, psychotropics on him and uh, if it wasn't for his attorney uh, david uh, david um, david i forget i forget his name he was he was also um, oh my god david truth for health foundation and david his attorney was uh, was on the phone uh, with the police and everybody to get him out of there. But we've seen that time and time again. Anybody who speaks up, they weaponize, weaponize David Wilson. Shout out, David Wilson. Amazing patriot, amazing attorney. But anytime we see service members speak out, that's kind of what uh, we've seen happen to him. And it, it happened to me as well. The, the difference with me was I got escorted there and I refused to contract with their services. I gave him notice. Uh, and I said, hey, I refuse contract with your services. I do not consent. And I had my own escort on top of their escort there uh, filming that process. So uh, they couldn't weaponize the system against me. What else is there that they tried to do? Because I think people have to understand the tactics here. The, the, these are fascist tactics. Yes. Isn't, so they, isn't, isn't this unusual within the army for this to be, I mean, they go after your kids. They try to give you behaviorals. They want to give you SSRIs. They want to ban you a banning. Okay. I can, you know, that's not overboard. <clears throat> Maybe they want to ban the whistleblower from gathering more evidence, but at the same time, what is it? What, what is John, Senator Johnson's office doing about this? I'm presuming that he knows all about this. Yeah. So I, I submitted to him. They're tracking it. Um, They've been submitting inquiries, to my understanding, to the Department of Defense, uh, to the Army. But uh, another issue that happened to me was after I submitted a declaration in a federal case highlighting 1,100% increase in viral vaccine injuries in the Department of Defense in 2021, my chain of command called me, uh, counseled me, said, uh, we perceive you as an insider threat. Uh, we need you to turn in your computer. Uh, and they cited the case. Uh, they cited the declaration that I submitted in that court case. And 
I was using defense medical epidemiological data to highlight this, uh, this huge signal that we were seeing. And this, this is what they did to me. They called me an insider threat after submitting that information. And, and defense medical epidemiological database is not a classified, it's not even uh, controlled unclassified. It's really just, uh, just tucked behind a um, common access card firewall, but it's, it's not personally identifiable information. So it's, it's simply just numbers of the injuries that we're seeing among service members so we can build proper risk communication strategies and evaluate this data uh, to, to see what's going on around the force. And so I highlighted this. They called me an insider threat took my computer away from me, uh, my government computer. Uh, they stripped me of promotion. They threatened me with Leavenworth imprisonment uh, prior to my court martial. They the commander called me up and said, hey, make sure you have bags packed for Leavenworth when you show up to the court martial. I said, oh, um, okay, can you send me the packing list and an email, please? He sends me the packing list and an email to Leavenworth. So I go to the BX take a nice little video of me buying the underwear necessary for Leavenworth uh, and, and share it out there with some people to let them know at the time what I, what I was dealing with and what the lengths they were willing to go through uh, to kind of coerce me, harass me, whatever you want to call it. But the fact was uh, jail time was never on the table for my court martial. So it wasn't even part of the punishment scheme. And the fact is I went to a court martial I got convicted, but the judge said no punishment. And then he recommended to the commanding general to drop the conviction and the findings in its entirety in which the commanding general has the prerogative because he's the commanding general to make the decision to do that or to not do that. He decided not to do that. And, and what he did was, instead was use the conviction as justification for officer elimination after my 17 years or 16 years at the time of, of service. So what is the commanding general's name? It's Major General Robert Edmondson, SECOM, uh, Senior Mission Commander, Aberdeen Proving Grounds. How do you spell his last name? Edmondson, E-D-M-O-N-S-O-N, -O -O I believe. Okay. So Major Robert Edmondson will be hearing from us. And I think that, you know, if anything, that Ron Johnson should be calling him. Because, because some, somebody needs to step in here. Is there anything else that you want to say, you know, Mark, that we, that we didn't cover? I mean, how, how, first of all, how, how did you pay for your defense? Does that picked up by the military? So, so I was blessed to be, uh, a volunteer with Truth for Health Foundation as a military advisor, uh, Dr. Lee Vliet. She is incredible. Um, and she, they helped me with my legal defense for David Wilson, DR Advocates, who was also incredible, a huge patriot, and his sidekick, uh, Don Uribe, who were awesome. The fact is, though, it should have never got that far, uh, but unfortunately it did. Uh, it should have been dismissed when we submitted motion to dismiss, but unfortunately it wasn't. Uh, and so we went through that process and um, the judge deemed it uh, a lawful order, which uh, if anybody wants to know the specifics, 
there's a good book coming out and I have to highlight this book because it's one of my brothers who's been in this fight. Uh, uh, Commander Rob Green, U.S. Navy, he's got a book coming out called uh, Defending the Constitution Behind Enemy Lines. And if you want to know the intricacies of the court-martial, chapter 13, court-martial of conviction. It's such a sad story. It's such a state. It's such a sad state of affairs for America because this is this is certainly not the country that I knew, and and it certainly seems crazy. Is not even does it, it? It's a void. You know, it doesn't even fill the vacuum of of how insane this is. Well, God bless you for coming forward. And, and uh, how can people help you? Um, right now, just prayers of support, prayers for support from my brothers and sisters who are also still actively engaged in this uh, in this battle. Uh, and, and I would appreciate that so much. And thank you so much, Christine, for having me. Well, everybody, everybody that's in your position, it, it, all they have to do is get in touch with us and we, we will put on their shows. We've done it for the vax injured. We've done it for the doctors who have been attacked by the medical boards, both here and abroad, you know, and and, and all, all of uh, your brothers and sisters can come on the Armed Forces Press and the American Conversations and we will push this out because what's happening to you is wrong. It's 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 shameful. It's a national shame in this country, that, that how people are being treated. Because just like uh, the pilots in the United, people who applied for their religious exemptions were denied, and then they, they or they were granted, and then they found out they didn't, they were put on, uh, you know, indefinite unpaid lead, and some of them didn't have access to their 401ks, which seems crazy. It sounds like Canada and the truckers when the, their banks, their, you know, their bank accounts were frozen, and the fact that people lost jobs because they didn't take a jab when there, there were no efficacy and there were no safety standards and protocols and manufacturing protocols for any of this nonsense, and they still know about the vascular neurological. I mean, this this is a public health disaster, and it's a danger to society and for generations after. You're absolutely right. God bless you. Well, thank you. God bless you. And Mark, please come back anytime and give us an update and we'll keep in touch. Will do. Thank you.